Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com on the 24-7 Sports Network, joined by football analyst William Gardner. William, it's been a little while since we've done a podcast. Since our last podcast together, you've taken a vacation to Seattle, gotten away from work for a little bit. How did your trip go with your wife? Oh, it was beautiful. We drove up there and made a round trip. I think we ended up doing about 3,700 miles. Wow. There, if, if you if you if you there's you can go up one way and it goes up through Wyoming and all the way almost all the way across Montana and then you come back another way and you go across Oregon and Idaho and Utah so it's like a big circle so got to see a lot of the country and um, really was surprised by a lot of things Montana is really amazingly gorgeous and then uh, like the Columbia River is huge I didn't know that you know I'm used to like the Platte River which I think should be called Platte Creek. Um, and the Columbia River looks like the Mississippi or something. It, it's really kind of amazing. But it was beautiful up there. Um, Seattle's an interesting place. You know, nothing geographically is far away from each other, but Puget Sound goes through the middle, so it's not easy to get anywhere. You either have to go around, or you have to find a bridge, or you have to go on a ferry. But uh, it's a beautiful place. Um, and we, we drove into downtown one day, and I looked at the wife and said, boy, I could live here. Yeah. Yeah, I don't ever plan to leave Colorado, but if I had to make a list of cities that I wouldn't mind living in, I think San Diego and Seattle would probably be my top two outside of Colorado. Uh, Just from, uh, and I know that in Seattle would probably be behind San Diego just because obviously they get so much moisture, but the seafood there and just the vibe in general in the Pacific Northwest, I've always enjoyed that or even Northern California has kind of got a similar vibe as well, but Man, just the seafood there. My wife and I uh, covered the last CU game up there together. And uh, we, yeah, we had uh, seafood for pretty much every meal for four days in a row. So it was pretty yeah. awesome. And, and you know, it's like, you know, nobody says they, they, they ought not use the word fresh for seafood in Denver because you can't get it. It's not, you know, it's a day old. I, sorry, nothing you can do about it. But we also drove into Seattle um, up from Tacoma. And uh, you go across this bridge and, and the University of Washington Stadium is right there. And there's all those boats out there. And then you yeah. go around a bend and then you come into Maine, Seattle. And there's all these boats over there. And it's just gorgeous. It's beautiful. I'm looking at that stadium going, Jesus, what a nice setting. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah. Well, for as long as I can remember, we've done a top 40 Buffs countdown on BuffStampede.com in the weeks leading up to preseason camp. I wasn't sure if we were going to do that again this year, just because the roster has had so much over, has had such an overhaul. And uh, you'd like to get your eyeballs on more of these guys and practice to, to have a feel for where they'd rank. But uh, so I kind of went back and forth with it and I, I needed some content here for a, a couple of weeks leading up to camp. And I said, let's just go ahead and do it and do the top buffs countdown this year with the caveat that, hey, OK, we're probably going to be wrong about some of these guys. But this is kind of how we feel about the team going into preseason right. camp. Uh, I think that's fair enough, right? Yeah, and I think I think we have by now really quite a bit of information about a lot of these guys. We saw many of them in spring ball and, and saw some things there. We know where they came from in their past. We've seen how they work out and, and such. And frankly, when I saw the final list, it, uh, you and Brian and I, we, we were remarkably close on most guys. 
in, in terms of we've pretty much had guys in the same same general area of ranking, you know. For the most part, there were some guys that uh, right. there, there was a big disparity, and we'll obviously get into that yeah. as we go through the yeah. countdown. And there always is. There's always one or two guys that people have different opinions on, but it, it, to me it was really uh, interesting how, how close we really were on many of them. Yeah, and it's tough with certain positions where – you're kind of weighing how much playing time they're projected to have versus uh, how talented is this player when you're talking about one to 40. And so it is interesting. We have a lot of people vote on it this year. It was three of us, Brian Howell, you and I voting, and then we collaborated. We've had as many as four or five voters some year. And yeah, it kind of, I think it's, it's a better balance when if maybe I'm too big of a fan on a guy, some, the other two voters will kind of even that out a little bit. Right. Today's episode is brought to us by Macaulay Capital Fractional CFO Services. Is your business looking for financial guidance and support, but not yet big enough to hire a full-time CFO? Well, we have a solution for you. Hiring a fractional CFO who can work with your business on a part-time basis. You get the benefit of having a seasoned financial expert on your team without the commitment or expense of a full-time hire. And here's the best part. It's likely that a partnership with Macaulay Capital will be a win-win situation, meaning that your business will make more money from the guidance of a fractional CFO than the total cost of partnering with us. For more information or to set up a meeting, please visit MacaulayCapital.com. That's M-C-C-A-U-L-E-Y Capital.com. Before we get into the top 40, William, let's quickly list the players that received votes for this countdown but did not quite make the top 40 list. Those guys are running back Anthony Hankerson, Edge Arden Walker, quarterback Ryan Staub, Edge Taj McCoy, linebacker Marvin Ham II, tight end Elijah Yelverton, defensive back Roderick Ward, kicker Alejandro Mata, defensive lineman Amari McNeil, and defensive lineman Bishop Thomas, um, were you any? Were you surprised any of those guys didn't make the top forty? Well, I'm looking at it. You know, most of them, most of those guys ended up with one of the three of us putting them in somewhere, and four of them, their only vote was for me. So I guess maybe a little surprised, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But um, I think I, I have a reason for each one why I included them, and I also see reasons why they would not be included by you or Brian. So they kind of make sense to me. I mean, um, and maybe the, the the scoring process. So if if you if if you got a one, you get forty points, right? Is that sort of how we're doing it? Uh, if you're if you're listed at forty, you'll get forty points, and so it's the less the less points, the higher on the uh, list you're going to be. Okay, good, got it. So that makes sense. Yeah, it's an easy way to calculate it because uh, there there are so many votes we're we're tabulating here. It's kind of the easiest right. way I found to yeah. to put that together. Yeah. yeah, I had Bishop Thomas and Amari Thomas in my top forty at twenty five and twenty seven respectively. Wow. So yeah. those are a couple uh, Amari uh, McNeil. Yeah, uh, are a couple defense alignment I expect right. to be heavy rotation players there. But uh, you know, again, I can see it. You know, there's. Right. So many defense linemen that did make the list. Uh, that's one group, though, that will rotate a lot. So I had yeah. quite a few d- more defense linemen on my top 40 than ended up making the list. And I, and I think, you know, maybe before we dive in too much, I, I would say that, uh, you know, we always take – I always get takeaways from doing this. 
because you have to look at the roster a little more carefully. And uh, I got to tell you, I feel like there's a lot more talent on. I mean, and it kind of goes without saying, but there's a lot more talent. It was a harder list to make, I think, this year, partially because we don't know as much about these guys, but partially because there's a lot of good players. Um, I think with Bishop Thomas, I, I think that uh, for me, I didn't put him on because I think he's young and, and he's got a great future. Uh, one thing I like about him is he doesn't ever shut up in, in those videos, in the workouts. I mean, oh, my God, is he a trash-talking <laughs> jabber, 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 man. And, uh, but I appreciate him, and, and he's got the fire. So I do think he's going to be a heck of a player. I just don't know if it'll be this year because of his youth. The four, you know, the four guys I added in, the, there's, I said four guys that I was their only vote. Um, one was Anthony Hankerson. I had him at 40, and I think he's going to play. I think he's going to have a role in this team, and I think he showed some things on the field last year. Um, and so I had him in at the last spot at number 40. Um, Ryan Staub I had at 38 um, because I think he's clearly the second-best quarterback and, and showed some things in spring that showed me that he could be a player that we could – maybe not count on full time, but, you know, for short spurts and whatever, and could develop into something. And then I had Taj McCoy in there, the true freshman at 36. And I put that in there basically because of what I've seen from him in some of these summer practice videos. And he's really got a quick first few steps and, and could actually maybe do something as a pass rusher. And then I also was the only one who voted for Kerry Manns as at edge. And I just think he's a, a, a exceptional pass rusher. I had him at 33 and you and Brian didn't have him ranked. So that was, that was my four guys that I added in. Um, uh, that, that the other two, neither the other two voted on those. That was my thinking on those four guys. Yeah. I don't think anybody would question you for, and you even gave your reasoning behind those guys. Uh, if Stab is your backup quarterback and something happens to Shadour, all of a sudden he's a pretty important player for this team. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't firmly disagree with you, but yeah, we do have to have a cutoff at certain points. Right. Uh, to your point that you made initially, every part of this list is better than it was a year ago. Yeah. And really, if we went back every year, from when we started doing this, I don't think we'd find a list that is quite as talented top to bottom. There are a lot of question marks with a lot of these guys from maybe 20 on down. And those are the guys we're going to talk about on this podcast, but there's no question, even though uh, there's less scholarship guys on the roster right now, as compared to most uh, mid July's every player in this program at this point is expected to have a role. And so that's a little bit different than in the past where you had a lot of developmental pieces that right. you really weren't were going to talk about much outside of spring ball. Well, and some of those developmental pieces in the last few years, you know, I didn't think any of some of them were not going to develop, you know, I mean, there's, there's guys that are developmental guys on this roster who I really believe will be something. And not very many guys that I look at think, well, he's not going to develop. But one question I had for you was that after doing this and looking at the roster closely, did you come back? Did you come out with any thoughts as to like, did any position really stand out to you as being better than the others or any position that caused you concern of any sort, any, any type? Not really. Tight end was the one that I've been the most critical of so far as I've done my summer roster resets. And that's just because there's only two scholarship guys there. And and I understand that Elijah Yelverton and Michael Harrison are walk-ons that are expected to get a role there. But 
Uh, and also, I mentioned in the article there that, hey, the tight end position is not going to be the focal point uh, of this Sean Lewis offense. But that's the one just if a couple of injuries pile up, um, you're going to start having to convert some guys over to tight end. And we saw that happen at Colorado a few years back. And it's not the end of the world if right. you just want to use that guy in, in blocking situations. But because this up-tempo system, you can't substitute a lot. Right. You need that person to at least go out and be somewhat of a threat in the passing game as well. And so you hope injuries don't pile up there. Safety was really difficult uh, to come up with guys and figure out where they're going to be on this top 40 buffs countdown because there's so many experienced guys in that group. That was the group that has improved the most out of any group uh, outside of starting quarterback probably. Yeah, I would also say that that safety spot is where we had the widest range of votes we had guys all over the place amongst those safeties where we really didn't agree on what they had one thing about the tight end spot is i think that uh, with a with a good offensive coordinator you know he's going to address schematically whether we're going to need a tight end or not quite frankly because it's either going to be a running back or an extra receiver or something else like that so we do have the ability to uh kind of cover for some for that position in this offense, I think the one the one position that kind of caused me a little bit of angst is, is I'm not real sold on that defensive line just yet in terms of the starters and the top end of the talent. I was thinking this morning, you know, um, be nice to have um, uh, Sammy and, and uh, Rodman on that group, because I'm not sure that we have necessarily uh, three or four guys that I'm really sold on just yet. Well, let's give it a couple weeks into camp, right? And yeah. see, you know, the the newcomers that have joined the mix on the D-line because they they do look the part when you look at what they've done um, in one-on-ones, player-led one-on-ones, and in the weight room. You know, the one thing you will say about the defensive linemen that they brought in is that they look the part. And even this spring, Leonard Payne Jr., I mean, those are big guys, whereas in the past, you know, Jalen Sami would kind of stand out. Right. This spring, Jalen Sami kind of blended in with those guys. So that, that was impressive. Uh, yeah, the hardest thing with Jalen Sami is that he's going to Michigan State, right? Right. So. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, and then Rodman's at, at, a, at a competitor. So we'll see how those play out for both of those. But yeah. There's no question Salson's there. He's going to earn his paycheck this fall. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the balancing factor to me is that he is truly a first-rate coach who develops players to the utmost of their ability you know and if he passed if he if he decided that these guys we brought in are okay for him then i then he you know he's a guy who has the experience to make the right choices as far as who plays and how much they play and how they play and and one thing you know for anybody playing for south sincere is going to play with his hair on fire and play crazy so uh, you see that in some of those uh one-on-one drills or whatever. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what he does with this group. And that segues us into the list at number 40, where defense alignment Zach Blackwood comes in. Brian Howell had him number 24 on his list, William. Neither of us had him in our top 40. This is a transfer from Garden City Community College, originally from Arizona, was at Northern Arizona before going the JUCO route. And had a pretty decent season there at the JUCO level last year, four sacks in nine games and had 23 non-Power 5 transfer options. Jackson State, when Coach Prime and company were still out there at Jackson, had offered him a scholarship there. But Colorado was the lone Power 5 there. So that's 
This is not one of the guys that I expect to have a huge role, but Brian has him on his list pretty high. He's one of six defensive linemen that did make the top 40. Uh, I don't know, you know, Chaz Wallace didn't make the list. JJ Hawkins didn't make the list. Mentioned that Amari McNeil and Bishop Thomas didn't make the list. Right. But Zach Blackwood does, and I, I think we're kind of splitting hairs with with all those guys I just mentioned on the D line. Well, that's when it's uh, you know you you mentioned give it a couple weeks into into fall camp, and we're going to have to see how some of these guys sort of fall out and who where, what the pecking order becomes and who who ends up uh, being able to do things because, like you said, there are a lot of a lot of bodies here and a lot of uh, guys with some size and some athleticism, and we're going to have to see who. Uh, ends up being the guys that play a lot, but looking at them right now, there are not a lot of them that jump right out at me um, in terms of the big defensive linemen um, as the guys that are going to be obviously the, you know, I think we all pretty much agree. Um, I think we pretty much all agree on our top three, uh, our, our starters, but uh, beyond that, I think it's, it's kind of anybody's guess. Number 39 is on the offensive line and that's Landon Beebe. He was on all three of our lists. Uh, I had him right at 40. You had him at 27. Brian at 37. He's one of seven offense alignment on this list. Transferred in from Missouri State. And William, he might have been a little bit higher on this list had he been on campus for spring ball. Uh, but he ended up having to do some academic work before he got on campus. He looks pretty darn good in some of the one-on-one clips we've seen this yeah. summer. Uh, you do have to caution fans to not overreact to some of that stuff. You know, right. one-on-ones in shorts isn't definitely going to, you know, figure out the, the competition battle for that center job. But this was a three-time all-conference guy in the Missouri Valley Conference and one year of eligibility. So, you know, he's going to have that sense of urgency. Uh, doesn't have that power five experience that Van Wells has a little bit of from last year. So uh, you've got Van Wells that's younger with a little bit of power five experience. And then you've yeah. got the veteran that has no power five experience. Uh, I wonder, William, is Shadur Sanders going to have a say in this in terms of who's going to be the, the center to, to give him the ball on every play? Well, I think I think the chemistry between the quarterback and the center is, is definitely going to play. I don't know that I, I I would I have not ever heard of a quarterback or offensive line coach asking the quarterback which one he likes better. But it becomes fairly clear if there's one guy that plays better with the quarterback than the other one does, and if there's you know um, if if they're snapping into a shotgun, who who's got the better snaps and who gets off the ball faster and what have you. But, you know, Van Wells, I, I, I would say he has more than a little experience. I mean, he started seven or eight, what, eight games, I think, and played quite a bit at the power five level and was good enough to be freshman all American. So I think having that experience against the, you know, the kinds of guys we're going to play this year is going to give him a big leg up. I do think when I see BB in those practice videos, one thing that stands out to me is he is serious. He is not messing around. He's got that. There, I can't. I can't really explain it, but it, you know that that look on his face because he knows if he doesn't start here this year, his football career is done. You know, if you don't do something impressive this year, you're not going to the next level, and that's all there is to it. And he's got. He, I mean, geez, he's he's as thick as a Mack truck, you know. So uh, he's certainly got the strength and the power and what have you. Um, it's just going to be a matter of whether he's got the quickness to handle the kind of guys we see at this level yeah and, and he's somebody that folks that i would talk to in and around the program would keep mentioning him when i kind of lock in on 
the spring ball starting five and say, right. this looks like a pretty good group. And it's like, well, there's a guy coming in this summer from the Missouri Valley Conference that that's going to have something to say about this. And so I don't know if we ran a poll of who's going to start at center between Landon Beebe and Van Wells. I would expect that Van Wells would win that because of his yeah. history at CU. But uh, I don't know. I'd have to sit there and think about it for a second. Yeah, I, I, I feel very confident that Van Wells will be the starter here, but I do think that having that competition makes them both better. Um, plus, BB gives us a guy who can step in at any one of those three inside positions, you know, uh, if there's an injury or, or if somebody's not living up to their standards, you know. And I, thought I always go back to that 2001 team, and, you know, that team didn't really start to click until they put Wayne Lucier at center. Um, and change those three inside guys on the offensive line, and then they then they became dominant. You know, so sometimes you start the way you start the season is not how you end up five games in, because you're looking for that group of five that works the best together, and sometimes you don't know that until you get in the games. Yeah, that is a good point. Is that uh, Landon BB would could be one of the starting guys, but maybe at a guard spot, like you yeah. said. At number 38 is tight end Louis Passarello. Uh, Brian and I had him on our list. You did not, William. He was one of the real surprises of spring ball, earned his number, earned a spot on this team with the new staff. And this is while, while many of his teammates were being forced out that were having hit the transfer yeah. portal. So, um, Passarella was lightly recruited out of Palo Alto High School, didn't have any other Power 5 options, and was really buried on the depth chart at Colorado for his first three seasons with the Buffs and was really known more as being Brady Russell's roommate than he was as a guy that was going to make an impact at tight end for the Buffs. And so we just kind of stopped talking about him, and then he earned his number this spring, and you find out that he's fit in really well into this new offense. And uh, he was somebody that is not stellar as a blocker or a pass catcher, but he's solid in both those areas. And so he fits in better to this offense than he did the previous offenses that were run at Colorado. And, you know, you could bring in Michael Harrison, the walk on here, Elijah Yelverton, I mentioned, uh, got some votes as well. So uh, the tight end position is not as dire as. I thought it was a month ago, uh, but you know th- that's that's assuming that Passarello is as good going forward as he was in the spring. Yeah, and I was the only one that didn't have him in my top forty. And basically, the reason is that obviously, very clearly, they saw something from him in practice, but I didn't get to any practices. I didn't see it, and they haven't talked about what it was that they saw. Um, so I don't know. He's kind of an unknown factor to me at this point and again I don't know how much the tight end is going to factor into this offense at all so um I I you know out of those I only had Caleb Fourier on my list and then um did not have any did not get Passarello on there because you know you have to make some hard choices in those last five guys or so yeah I mean Passarello is at least a guy that can go out there and be serviceable and uh, you can sell in recruiting for the class of 2024 and 2025 that, you know, we need an elite tight end and they can still go after some of those guys. Cause I don't necessarily think Passarello is going to scare off blue chip right. tight ends. Um, he's not going to be an all coverage caliber guy, but again, I, I think, you know, I've got to buy into the stock a little bit when this staff has shown as much love towards him as right. they have. Right. That, that, that weighs in a lot. So you know, I just want to look and see what he does in, in these scrimmages and, and what have you in the fall. 
Number 37 is Edge Savelle Smalls transferring in from Washington. I had him number 33. Brian had him at number 29. William, you didn't have him on your list. This is a composite five-star prospect that was ranked third among defensive end prospects in the 2020 class and and served in a reserve role for the Huskies the previous three years, recorded 14 tackles as a third-year sophomore last fall. William, it sounded like this is a guy that Washington wanted to keep in their program and was going to have a chance at more playing time. But just as his underclassmen years went along, there were guys that were more experienced in that system. And so he had kind of a limited role, but you know, a guy like that wants to get on the field and and he saw open competition in Boulder and, and decided to make a move. And this is one guy that could be really, really good or a guy that just doesn't have much of an impact. And it's impossible to know until we get into some practices. Yeah. And I think I, I looking at it now, I think probably I should have found a spot for him in my top 40. Uh, um, you know, I think it, to say, you know, some people will say, well, he didn't play much at Washington, but he was behind some NFL draft picks and, and, uh, his time was coming because those guys are gone now. So this was going to be his year there, and maybe it'll be his year here. And in, in retrospect, if I could redo this, I think I would have found a spot for him um, in my top 40 as well. I do think he belongs in there. But I think there's a lot of guys on that edge spot. There's a couple of them that stand out, and then there's going to be others, like as we talked about on the defensive line, we're going to have to wait and see how they do in actual practice and games before we really know who stands out at that spots or not. Well, you're going to feel better, William. You actually had him 29th. That wasn't Brian. Brian is the one that didn't oh, rank Savelle Small. Okay. So uh, you actually had him higher than everybody. Okay. So you don't have to put that apology out there. That's my bad for – I retract uh, it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know how you could – it's impossible to not have him in your top 40, in my opinion. But it's also impossible to have him very high just because we don't know. Right, right. And I'm going to – you know, I'm going to come back to uh, – I'm going to – Mention Savelle Smalls again when we talk about somebody else a little bit later on another okay. podcast. Number 36 is on this list because of Brian Howell. I think I got it right this time. Yeah. He had wide receiver Willie Gaines number 17 on his list. He was not on your list or my top 40 list. Uh, hauled in 27 balls for 446 yards and five touchdowns as a third year sophomore at Jackson State. Uh, showed good. Sp- speed when he was at Jackson State, the ability to return punts as well, and brings a lot of confidence with him to Boulder. This is a guy that we saw him jarring with uh, Jacquez Robinson in one of those behind-the-scenes videos, and uh, he's a guy that whenever they start the debate about who's the fastest buff, he's putting his name in there, and he's a guy that definitely uh, thinks he's going to have a big impact, and, and Brian Howell has bought into that. Well, one of the things I love about this group of guys they brought in is that there is no lack of confidence in, in this group of players they brought in, and it and it's very noticeably different to me. Um, there's there's that I don't know if you saw that uh, video with uh, Coach Prime and uh, Peyton Manning talking about how to, Peyton Manning could be playing both ways and teach him how to play defensive back, and Coach Prime's talking about you got to have that swagger, you got to believe in yourself. And we haven't had that in this program. And I think part of it is because we recruited guys that other people didn't want. So those guys didn't believe in themselves quite the way that some of these guys do, because these guys know they can play. So uh, I, I, I appreciate having that um, uh, attitude on the team. I don't know that, that, you know, Willie Gaines would be able to do at the power five level, what he did at um, 
uh, Jackson State. And I also don't, you know, there's some really, really good wide receivers on this team now. And so, yeah. you know, uh, getting getting catches and, and playing time could be tough. Well, how much does it help Willie Gaines that he has that experience playing with Shador Sanders, whereas you look at some of the other guys that he's working with this summer at receiver and Xavier Weaver, uh, Jalen Ellis, uh, Tavares Dawson, guys that have college experience, but not with Shador as their quarterback. Do you think that gives Willie Gaines a, a leg up going into camp? Maybe, you know, yes and no. Um, and what I think of immediately is the chemistry that developed between um, Shadour and uh, Jimmy Horn Jr. Almost immediately, yeah. Yeah. almost immediately. And they had never played together. And those two, you know, like hand and glove. So maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know. You know, um, again, it really depends on, on who the quarterback is comfortable throwing to. I know he's, he's been throwing to Willie Gaines for a couple of years, but uh, at a different level. So we'll see, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Jimmy Horn, that wasn't wave a magic wand and these guys are a great combination. Once they both got to Boulder, they spent a ton of time in the indoor practice facility yeah. to gain that going into spring ball. And there were times during those open practices we saw where uh, Shadour and, and some of the receivers weren't necessarily on the same page, but you could see once it clicks, this is going to be a really dangerous offense. Uh, so yeah, I I don't quite know what to expect from Willie Gaines, but uh, it doesn't bother me that he's in the top 40 given that he did have a pretty solid season last year catching balls from Shador. At number 35 is one of my favorite guys on the entire team, and I think he's uh, going to be a fan favorite the next three or four years as long as he's in Boulder, and that's running back Dylan Edwards. He was on all three of our lists Tied Jimmy Horn Jr. as the fastest buff during winter testing and ranked second behind Tarvaris Dawson in resisted sprint testing earlier this month with a speed of 20.1 miles per hour. Uh, he's also been impressive lifting weights as a true freshman, a guy that should have just gotten campus a, a few weeks ago, but has already really entrenched himself in, in the culture of uh, the coach prime buffs and is a guy that broke a lot of long runs during spring ball. I don't know with his speed, how you keep him off the field, especially when you talk about this offense, uh, having a, a heavy run uh, focus to it. Well, and I think also that, you you know, Lewis and, and that offensive coaching staff have to find ways to use him out of the ordinary, not just lined up at running back, but in other ways too, you know, throwing the ball out in the flats and things like that and let him, get mismatches with linebackers and things like that. But I'm going to tell you right now, Dylan Edwards is going to have some big plays this year, big game-breaking type of plays this year. Um, I don't know if he's going to be big enough just yet uh, to take the beating of, you know, 20 carries a game or something like that. And I don't think he's that that running back that you want for that role. But in a change-up role, you know, or, or as, a, as a decoy or something else, he, he is a guy that's going to do some things. I often get asked what my favorite highlight tape of all time is. And Rodney Stewart had been kind of my go-to for a really long period of time. But I think going forward, Dylan Edwards is the answer there. If you just are bored someday, pull up his highlights from his career at Derby High School in Kansas. It just, I mean, it's it's a thing of beauty and you 
watch it knowing that this is Kansas competition, but it still doesn't uh, keep you from being able to really appreciate how fast and explosive he is. It's kind of like the video game where you've got that speed burst. It's just really fun stuff to watch his high school clips. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, he and Speedy are both smaller guys, quicker guys, change of direction, you know, and they can get to top speed with a couple steps and, and that just really makes a difference. And, and I think it gets overlooked uh, sometimes in recruiting because they're uh, smaller guys and, you know, people are looking for a different body type, I suppose. Yeah. But Edwards does have a good base, right? Like oh, when yeah. you look at his lower body and when you see him squatting, it doesn't necessarily look like a true freshman out now upper body. He's got some development to do there, but he's also a running back that, you know, if you know how to fall, like remember Barry Sanders just knew how to like absorb contact and never get hurt. If if you have that ability, I don't really know how much bigger Dylan Edwards needs to get because he needs to maintain that speed. And I, and I, I think I recall seeing him on one of those videos the other day, uh, deep squatting something around 375 or something like that. I mean, he was doing some heavy, heavy weight. It was very impressive. Number 34 is tight end Caleb Fourier. He was not on my list, but he was on your list and Brian's as well. Uh, honestly, I would have liked to find a spot for Caleb on my top 40, but he's just been hurt yeah. with so many different injuries since he got on campus at CU. I mean, he overcomes a leg injury. Then he has to go in for soldier surgery, and then he overcomes a knee injury. And now he wasn't out there this past spring because he had a Liz Frank foot injury that kept him out. And it's like when he's healthy, there's no question that he's uh, a really talented tight end that that should be a starter at the Pac-12 level. But just in, up until this point, he hasn't been able to do that. So I hope you guys are right in that he is the top 40 guy on this team because we've been waiting for a long time for Christian's uh, son to really make his mark in Boulder. Yeah, and I had him at 35, so I didn't have him much higher than unranked but uh um you know part of it for me is is his his seeing him in somebody's workouts he's looking good and then uh comments that uh tim brewster had about him um really were encouraging as well so you know i think if he get past the injury situation i think he could be really would be really the answer at tight end for us this year so we'll have to wait and see I'm anxious to see how Austin Smith develops at Memphis because he's a guy that Daniel Graham, the arguably the best tight end in CU football history, thinks has NFL potential. So he just yeah. came in really raw. I was a little bit surprised that Eric Olson decided to hang him up because this was their top ranked recruit a few years back. And right. he looks the part, but you know, I guess this whole transition has exposed guys. You know, and Owen, Owen Carey as well, if, if you don't truly love this game and the grind, it's probably best to just focus on academics. And Eric Olson is in engineering, so it makes sense that you'd want to spend more time on the academic side. I just I think he's talented enough to have had a chance to maybe work his way into an NFL type guy. But again, if the passion's not there, then I guess you just wish him luck going forward. And it's remarkably difficult to play the game at this level and the, the time demands and the work demands. And, you know, some guys just, you know, and there's not, not a knock against them. It's just, that's not my thing. It's, it was fun in high school. Now it's a job. And that's just changes things a lot. Yeah. Number 33 is safety Travis J. He was on all of our lists. 
Uh, Brian had him at 40, me at 35, and you had him up at 22. This is one of the guys that I kind of sat there and was like, okay, I know he's a top 40 guy, but where do I place him in there? Given the depth at safety, Uh, he was a four-star prospect coming out of high school in Florida. And, uh, you know, he's got versatility to his game at 6'2", 202 pounds. Um, He's a guy that can play a lot of different spots in the secondary, uh, played 16 games with the Seminoles, had three interceptions. So he's got some power five experience. Uh, but he's one of five safeties on the list and is the last guy among those safeties. Uh, so I don't quite know what his playing time is going to be. But when you look at this safety group, you also know these guys are going to be big time special teams contributors. And I like Jay because of that versatility. If they have injuries at another spot, he can nec- he could potentially move over, play a little cornerback as well. What, what did you like, Travis Jay? Well, you know, so I, I, I'm looking at it now and it's interesting to me that, that I – Clearly had a much better opinion of, of both of the both of the uh, Florida State defensive back transfers, Amari and Cooper, than you guys did, and uh, I just feel like that they both bring a whole lot to the table in terms of their size and athleticism and and potential. Um, and I think Travis Jay is a cut. You know, he's been playing down at, at some of the highest levels of football and um, knows what it takes and knows how physical you need to be. And, and I think he's a guy that can bring that to this team. And uh, so I don't know who we're going to want, who's going to wind up doing what at safety, but he's also a big guy, you know, at six two, 200, he's got that size that you like and, and the ability to run, um, which, you know, we haven't seen that a lot at safety since 2016. So I think he's a guy that's going to make some noise and, and find a spot for himself. He's another guy that is, uh, been prominently featured with some of the videos that we we get coming out of the Champion Center because uh, he's a, a pretty charismatic guy. Yeah, yeah, and those you know those guys. I mean, that's back in the day when we were great on you know on defense. You had those guys who talked and chirped, and they backed it up with their play. So we'll see. Um, and I and I, it was it's also interesting. You know, like these guys were on each other uh, in some of those videos too, and that's what you need in a team is guys who, who push. And, you know, I think, you know, um, uh, David Cooper, the big offensive tackle, was talking some smack and that one thing. And, and I think Bishop Thomas says, man, you've got your arm in a sling. You can't talk trash when you've got your arm in a sling. You know? <laughs> and that's 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 the mentality that we need is guys like that. Well, that's what you hear from those guys you talk to that played at CU back in the late 80s, early 90s, right, as they would talk about how – practices were tougher than the game and if you can get to that point as a program that's when you become elite and uh it hasn't been i mean would you say that was the case back in in 01 or 2016 i don't know i mean it was still a case where maybe the game was a little bit harder but back in the heyday when you had those elite guys going against each other in practice you know there's a competitiveness in these guys and i think you do see a lot of that with the current group of of buffaloes Because everybody wants to be the guy, you know, and yep. got to compete for it on this group. Yep. Well, at number 32 is Chance Main. And, and this, we all voted on this before we saw some of the videos coming out of him lifting a ton of weight in the weight room. Yeah. Uh, but I'm excited that he made the list. And he's a high motor edge player for the Buffaloes. At least he was last year, but he's up to 270 now. And so, I think that you're going to see him more as kind of a, a hand-in-the-ground defensive tackle, whereas last year he was more of a hybrid guy. Uh, he took some time to get that 
medical hardship waiver approved by the NCAA. So he wasn't on campus this spring. His future was a little bit up in the air for the, there for a while, but I was pretty excited when I heard that CU's new staff had extended a scholarship offer to him and that we're going to have uh, him around for for another year. Because, again, uh, I think he's one of the most personable guys on this team. And you're starting to see that now uh, come through. And, and I'm pretty excited about him. Well, and he's also a guy, you know, he's also, you know, there are guys. The term I always heard was glue guys, guys that, that hold everything else together. You know, they may not be the ones that are getting their awards that are talking all the time, but they're the ones that kind of everybody likes them and gathers around them. And you watch how those guys got around when he was doing those lifts for, for, for his maxes um, in some of those videos. And this team likes him and they, and he fires them up and watching him do that power clean with, you know, like three sixty five I think was ridiculous. And um, you just look at him and you can see the thickness through the chest that he did not have last year. Um and I think he's a guy you could put out that five technique and, and really uh, he could have some fun with some tackles. And he, he gives you a versatility on your defense to maybe do a four-man front from time, time to time. And he can also uh, play some of those inside spots as well. So he's got the strength and the length to make up for the fact that he's not 320 pounds. Um, and I think he could do some real real damage this year. Quite frankly, I think he, he probably want, probably – by the end of the year is one of those guys look back and say he should have been in the top 20. Yeah. He's used to the cameras being around too, because uh, if you go back to the second season of last chance, you on Netflix, he's prominently featured on that. And he kind of warms up to the cameras throughout that, that season. And uh, you get, if you haven't seen some of those episodes before, I would go back and watch them because uh, it shows chance with his family and just kind of the shows the dynamic of how hard it was for him to get to this point. And, you know, even after that documentary, he had to go to incarnate word in the FCS. And then uh, he has a shoulder surgery and is out of football for a whole year. And so he's one of the more unique stories on this football team. And I don't know if he has, enough popularity right now to necessarily be a top candidate for the Buffalo Heart Award. But if he has a big role on this team, I, I think you got to consider him for that award because of the the journey he's taken uh, in college. And I also think that uh, these, these guys like him who have that kind of background, it means more to them. They, they need this. If, if he didn't need this, he wouldn't have gone through all that crap to still be here. Yeah. Right. This guy wants it real bad. And that means something, especially, you know, down on the defensive line position where it's hand to hand combat. You know, this guy has earned it. And I think he uh, really wants to show something. And uh, like you said, has that high motor. And, and you know, he's he's going to kind of kind of guys going to run guys down from behind, behind the line and things like that. So this is the kind of guy that's invaluable to a team. He may not be all American or all conference, but this is the kind of guy who's going to get a lot of snaps and he's going to give you everything. He had. like coach prime during spring. would talk to these guys about you ought to crawl off the field every time. And that's this, that's this guy. Yeah. That's this guy. At the end, he's going to crawl. He's going to give you every last ounce of blood, sweat and tears that he's got. You might have to carry him off the field. And, and I love guys like that. Yeah. That that to me is what the sport is all about. He's 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 a caveman, man. You know. <laughs> well, it's obvious that uh, we're big fans of Chance Main and and pretty excited uh, about the fact that he's still on the football team. 
Number 31 is a defensive back you mentioned a little bit earlier, William, and that's Omarion Cooper Sr. He's got a son now. Uh, he transfers in from Florida State. Uh, he was on all of our lists, but yeah, you were the highest on him at number 18 on your list. Started seven games, appeared in 13 others during his time at Florida State. And like, uh, you know, uh, he's got a little bit of versatility, too, in that defensive backfield, a guy that can play different spots. But um, Brennan Gant is another guy that transfers in from Florida State that has a young child as well. Um, I can only relate it to my own story, but when you have a a child, it, it does change your focus a little bit. And generally, it's for a, a good reason, especially if you look at a college football player late in their career. Um, it's something that, you know, he's going to want to set himself up to really be successful in the future uh, to help be able to take care of, of his kid. And so uh, we we saw, uh, you know, got, we've seen guys with kids in the program in the past, and they're usually some of the more mature guys on, on the football team. Right. Because it, because it, you know, it, it's the thing that there are two things that civilize men. One is a woman, the other one is a kid, and it makes you grow up. Because you yeah. know, I ain't got time for this garbage, man. I, you know, I got to get up in the middle of the damn night, and take care of the kid, and I don't, I don't have time for drinking and stupid and being a, a dumbass anymore. You know, I, I got yeah. real responsibilities, and it's time to be a man. Yep. And yeah. so, uh, but Omari and Cooper. You have him so high on your list. Where, where do you see him? Do you see him as a starting cornerback this year? Uh, that's going to be a big question because of the talent at that spot. But I guess what jumped out at me, first of all, was that, it, that he started quite a few games at Florida State. But also there was one video this summer where um, uh, I was trying to think, uh, blanking on the name, the really big wide receiver uh Javon Antonio. Javon Antonio. Yeah. Well, he was he was one on one with Javon Antonio. He was right with him, man. Just just right with him in his hip pocket, and not intimidated by that size or anything else. And if you've played at Florida State and started games, you know you're playing against Clemson and 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 teams like that. You're not intimidated by these dudes. And he's got that mentality, like Coach Prime was talking about, that swagger, and he's got the uh, talent to back it up. So I think he's as good a bet to be, uh, you know, one of those starting cornerbacks as anybody out there. Thanks to you and Brian for taking the time out to to participate in their voting for this countdown. And William, uh, extra thanks for for coming on, taking a break from work today to talk about uh, you know a bunch of these guys. And, and we'll have to do this again soon. Again, we got to get that that other podcast out before camp starts up. But uh, always appreciate you and appreciate everybody out there for tuning in. <laughs>